Good morning. I'm always glad to be uh, back here. I've been here for a few times, and uh, each time I stand here, I still am in awe of uh, the majesty of this sacred place. It's such a, a gorgeous, beautiful uh, chapel and such a privilege to be speaking uh, before you today. I'm not much of a preacher. In fact, I don't like preaching. I'm more of a teacher. And so I thought since um, this summer, we uh, have just uh, a rather intimate group of students that I'll invite you in into our classroom a little bit and, um, and fill you in on what's going on in our um, in our classroom um, with our topic on uh, Henry Nouwen, uh, the dynamics of the spiritual life, which focuses primarily on the nature and um, basically the nature of uh, and reality of our, our journey. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a Reader's Digest version, if you will, of um, the topic that we have been touching on. So um, let me... Uh, start us off by uh, saying that, oh, by the way, the thrust of uh, our topic this morning has to do with uh, the subject matter of perfection through imperfection. But I thought I'd give you a quick overview, uh, a really quick overview of um, just to situate this topic uh, more specifically. If there's one book of Henry Nouwen that actually articulates very succinctly his own schema, his own conception of the spiritual life is reaching out, which I'm sure uh, many of you probably are familiar with because it speaks of the three movements of the spiritual life. Those of you who are familiar with Henry Nouwen's writings know that Nouwen has a penchant, a propensity for organizing his thoughts in um, three points. And so the three movements of the spiritual life, really, if I recast it, there is really the inward dimension to it, a reaching in, and then there's a reaching out and a reaching up, but don't take it very literally. So there's an inward movement, an outward and a Godward movement, a reaching into self, our inmost being, a reaching out to other fellow human beings, but also a reaching up to God, uh, the utmost being. So reaching a rich, an inward movement towards the self, others, and God. Now, the inward journey, which is really a movement toward the self, soul, or heart through the avenue of solitude, is really where we discuss the integration of psychology and spirituality, that in now in, the knowledge of self and the knowledge of God are inextricably bound together, where wholeness and holiness work in tandem. The outward journey, the movement toward others through service, and particularly service of hospitality, is where we delve with the um, integration between spirituality and ministry, where Nowen construes the twofold thrust of the great commandment, loving God, loving others, are as inseparable or indivisible. And of course, the Godward or the upward journey, the movement toward God through prayer, through communing prayer or prayer of the heart is where we deal with the integration of theology and spirituality. Because in Nauen, 
Knowing God, loving God, and the experience of God are all intertwined together. So, in a way, this for us sums up the fact that Nowen emphasizes that first and foremost, our spiritual journey constitutes an integrated life. He's all about a movement toward wholeness, a movement toward integration and completion. But at the same time, the spiritual journey in Nowen is not just an integrated life, but also an imperfect existence. And Nowen has no trouble uh, seeing both, not as an either-or reality, but rather the coexistence of an integrated and imperfect journey side by side. In fact, Henry Nowen himself says, we have a heart that desires things that are complete, and we live always in situations that can seem only incomplete. He's basically echoing the words of the great C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory when he said, nothing is yet in its perfect form or in complete form. Uh, Mike Iaconelli speaks of this brand of spirituality, a spirituality of imperfection, when he said these words. Mike, by the way, of youth specialties, he passed away already many years ago, but spent, uh, you know, many uh, fruitful times uh, dialoguing with Henry Nouwen. In fact, he spent a whole week retreating with Henry Nouwen. He has this to say, and I think it captured the very essence of what Nouwen is also trying to articulate for us. Spirituality is not about perfection. It is about connection. The way of the spiritual life begins where we are now in the mess of our lives. Accepting the reality of our uh, broken, flawed lives is really the beginning of spirituality, not because the spiritual life will remove our flaws, but because we let go of seeking perfection and instead seek God, the one who is present in the tangledness of our lives. And you know, I really believe with all my heart that if there is one person who exemplified and embodied this brand of spirituality, a spirituality of imperfection, it's um, Henry Nouwen. So we want to look at more specifically right now, which is our focal, focal thrust, that Nouwen really believed that the route toward perfection is through the sobering and striking realities of imperfection. And this journey of ours, this journey of imperfection, really, in many ways, is very counterintuitive. In other words, it runs counter to our normal or normative construal of what the journey ought to be. It's counterintuitive in the sense that the inward journey that I just showed you earlier, that movement towards self through solitude, actually constitutes what I would call a psychology of imperfection to begin with. You know why? Because in Nowen, the path toward wholeness is through the massive confrontation of our broken, flawed condition. So wholeness is through brokenness. The outward journey, the movement toward others through service of hospitality, constitutes what I would call a ministry of imperfection in that 
in the language of Paul, power is through weakness. In other words, Nowen really was convinced that fruitfulness in our ministry is via the theology of powerlessness. And lastly, the upward or the Godward journey, that movement toward God through communing prayer, is really all about a theology of imperfection because our union with God, our communion is through suffering. So let's start with the first one. Again, there's the three-point outline right there that we're following. First is wholeness through brokenness. Now one says, our brokenness is so visible and tangible, so concrete and specific. Now one has always believed that whatever is personal is universal and vice versa, which of course um, is reminiscent of the Rogerian uh, theory. But in the same way as that our brokenness, our woundedness is a universal phenomenon, it's also very, very specific uh, for each one of us. And now it reveals to us the facets, at least two major facets of this brokenness. We are broken primarily because of the nature of sin. The first part is the fact that um, we all have been sinned against. We are broken because we've been damaged by other people, even the significant others that we have looked up to. In um, psychological terms, it has to do with our victimization. In other words, we are all victims. In fact, now one puts it this way. We're all wounded, broken people. And who wounds us? Often those whom we love and those who love us. When we feel rejected, abandoned, abused, manipulated, or violated, it's mostly by people very close to us, our parents, our friends, our spouses, our lovers, our children, our neighbors, our teachers, and yes, even our priests, our pastors. Those who love us wound us too, and that's the tragedy of our lives. But then again, now one doesn't stop right there. Yes, we've been victimized, we've been wounded, we've been broken by people around us because of sin. We've been sinned against, but now one balances off with an equally important truth. We also continually sin against others. And that speaks of agency. We're both victims, but also moral agents who continually sin against others. In fact, um, ironically, wounded people more often than not end, end up being wounded wounders themselves. Uh, speaking of moral agency, by the way, Nowen has this to say. This is, a, this is a quite a powerful quote if you really ponder on it uh, more deeply. Nowen says, Human brokenness is not a fatal condition of which we have merely become the sad victims. But rather, our brokenness has to do with what? The bitter fruit to say no to love. Other people wallow in their victimization and, you know, don this victim mentality as if it's really, you know, having that fatalistic attitude, but now it is reminding us, yeah, you cannot use that, uh, your own 
stuckness to your own brokenness and victimization as an excuse for you not to reach out to others in love and for you not to receive love. Um, speaking again of our moral agency, now and reminds us that we truly are first and last agents who make choices. He says, one of life's great questions centers not on what happens to us, but rather how we will live in and through whatever happens. We have a choice, and we can make wise choices that enable us to transcend our own victimization. We are truly victims, but agents first and last. With Friedrich, uh, Frederick Bickner, one of my favorite authors, Nowen has no trouble embracing the fact that brokenness indeed is a way of being human in this world, which is really the way to wholeness, the path to wholeness. In fact, he says it this way in one of his writings, which sounds rather almost strange. He says, wholeness and peace, what the Hebrew tradition calls shalom or human flourishing. He says, wholeness and peace are found where? In our weakness, in those places of our hearts where we are most broken, most insecure, most in agony, and most afraid. Sounds strange, isn't it? But uh, this next quote sort of illumines for us what Nowen is trying to uh, say here. Uh, in the living reminder, Nowen says, when Jesus says, and he's of course alluding to a very familiar passage where Jesus himself was addressing the crowd, mostly, um, you know, populated by the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. Um, Nowen says, when Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but rather the sick. Nowen underscores the fact that Jesus is affirming that only those who face their wounded or broken condition can be available for healing and so enter into a new way of living. Of course, that discounts the Pharisees who thought that they were self-righteous enough not to even uh, need deliverance or salvation. The thing about brokenness is that it's, it doesn't, it's not our ultimate identity. It doesn't you know, give us the period into our journey, reality, or experience. But rather, now and recognizes that underneath or beneath or behind our brokenness is probably disguised blessings. In fact, he recognizes that in our brokenness, there's always a gift in disguise. It represents a gateway to our own salvation or deliverance. It represents a door to glory and a passage to um, freedom. He says this uh, in sabbatical journey by way of his own experience. So he's not just theorizing. He knows deep inside his heart there's more to brokenness than meets the eye. The outward journey, the outward journey toward others through service, and particularly service of hospitality, we already said, is a ministry of imperfection in that fruitfulness in our ministry is via our own powerlessness. So power through weakness, the Pauline phrase that most of us are familiar with. 
Now one says, God's counterintuitive way is that we minister out of a place of weakness rather than strength. Every book on ministry or, or leadership, well, I shouldn't say every, but most, probably um, would go against this because, you know, we're always told, well, capitalize on your strength. And here's the, the upside kingdom, you know, thrust of, of the New Testament. It's, it's not our power that matters. It's our weakness because then it gives God, you know, an inch to inch actually his way in into our weakness to show forth his power. I'd like to show you very quickly the way of weakness from the example of at least three um, uh, persons here, namely Jesus himself, Paul, and of course, Nowen himself. We learn, for example, from Jesus' example, and this is a quote from Karl Barth, and you'll get the drift of what he's trying to say, the way of the cross. It's from the heights to the depth, from victory to defeat, from riches to poverty, from triumph to suffering, and from life to death. is the way of the cross, the downward way, which again is very counterintuitive. In fact, in one of his writings, um, actually this is not now in his writings, this comes from Timothy um, Savage, who's a New Testament scholar who wrote in his book, Power Through Weakness, he reminds us that the power of God had come to its mightiest expression through the radical self-abnegation of the crucified Messiah. Paul's own example of his thorn in the flesh from um, the Corinthian passage that you all are familiar with, Paul says, therefore to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I underlined power because I want to um, issue out uh, uh, a further explanation to that. It says, for power is made perfect in weakness. Most of us at first glance, would be quick to construe that that power has to do with God's power. But I prefer Marva Don's um, well-exegeted translation of this passage. This is Marva Don's um, translation. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For whose power? Your power or Paul's power is brought to its end in weakness. Well, that's the other rendering of uh, the word teleo. It's not about completion or maturity. It's about bringing something to the finish or to end. For power is brought to its end in weakness. All the more gladly then will I boast in my weakness that the power of Christ and not mine may tabernacle upon me, for when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, Marvadon correctly, I believe, emphasizes that the goal is for our own power to come to its end so that God has a way to really show his own power. Paul's example, according to Savage, is it is precisely in weakness the true power, the power of God, becomes effective in Paul's ministry. 
And again, in Nowen's own example, the path of downward mobility, that uh, it's not his original concoction, but he popularized the term because he lived it out himself when he left uh, the world of the academe, you know, the Ivy League schools of, um, of Yale and, and Harvard, to work amongst the poor, the marginalized and disenfranchised of society, because in his heart of hearts, Nowen really wanted to belong to those who did not belong. He practiced downward mobility because he believed in his heart the way of the Christian minister is not the way of upward mobility, but rather the way of downward mobility ending on the cross. The cross is the greatest sign that the strength of God to transform us is shown best in the midst of weakness. That is Nowen's theology of powerlessness. In other words, from God's standpoint, God has more need of our weakness than our strength. I hope we realize that. Ministers, according to Nowen, are merely powerless people who have nothing to boast of except their weakness. And this theology of weakness claims power, God's power. In fact, now and qualifies what kind of power this constitutes. It's the all-transforming power of love. He wrote this in um, Finding Our Way Home. So therefore, this ministry that we're talking about a movement toward others through the service of hospitality in reality is really all about powerful love in action, even though the avenue of it, the way it's manifested, is through our own weakness and powerlessness. The third movement, the Godward journey, that movement toward God through communing prayer, is a theology of imperfection in that now and believes our union with God, our common union with God, is paved by suffering. So union is through suffering. Now one says, there is no journey to God outside of the journey that Jesus made. And what kind of journey did Jesus make? It is the way of suffering that Jesus himself exemplified. So when we follow Jesus, it's a package deal. We don't just follow the triumphant, victorious Jesus, but we also follow Christ, who is pictured in the gospel as what? A man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, who made his own Via Dolorosa. In fact, now it says, Jesus willingly drank from the cup of life, containing not only salvation, blessings, and joy, but also sorrow. And Jesus' yes, which happened, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' yes made his surrender a creative act, an act that could bear much fruit. Instead of a final irrevocable end, his death became the beginning of a new life. There is, in fact, a delineation between resignation and surrender. Christ's act was a surrender, not a resignation, because he knew in his heart of hearts it will redound to new life for all of us. Paul also reminds us that suffering is our inevitable lot. In fact, he goes beyond that by saying that it is a privilege for 
He has graciously, graciously granted us the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but also suffering for his sake. In one of his books, um, Can You Drink the Cup? Um, you know, we are reminded by now and Jesus' penetrating question to the sons of thunder, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who, you know, when their mother, in, you know, decided to act as their agent and proposed to Jesus that uh, maybe, uh, you know, her sons would sit on the right and on the left and all that, Jesus basically, you know, told them, well, can you drink the cup? that contains suffering. It's basically a call to suffering. Communion through suffering. This is, um, this is the verse that uh, Arnold read earlier prior to the actual uh, uh, verse for today. Paul is saying, I want to know Christ experientially. And what does he want to know? He says, the power of Christ's resurrection glory simultaneous or side by side with what? Participating or fellowshipping with Christ's sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. David Peterson, who is a, a, a New Testament scholar who wrote Possessed by God, a Theology of Sanctification, remarked that in the here and now, we must be content to share visibly in the pattern of Christ's death rather than in the pattern of his glory. In other words, he's underlining the fact that what? Our conformity in this day and age, in this present life, is really more conformity to Christ's death, representing our struggles and our sufferings rather than on his glory, which is still eschatological or futuristic. So, Luther, after all, is right before the theology of the of glory is the theology of the cross. This is to say that our route to holiness and perfection is really through suffering, along with the tensions and imperfections that go along with it, that we experience in this life. Now one says, it is in this mystery of union in suffering that hope is hidden. And our hope of final glory now and reveals the great secret in life is that suffering, which often seems unbearable, can actually become a source of new life and new hope. Now, Nouwen is not just philosophizing here. He was speaking from his own experience of suffering. In fact, he says in um, one of his journals, he says, never have I felt so strongly how great pain, anguish, can lead to new life, new hope, and new courage. Now, and basically is echoing the words of St. Paul in Romans 8. If we are willing to share in Christ's sufferings, we also will share in his glory. The very same words that Jesus uttered uh, to uh, the two disciples um, uh, walking with him in the road to Emmaus. So, what does our journey of imperfection, what does that constitute again? Three points, which sound very counterintuitive. The route to imperfection, the route to perfection through imperfection involves wholeness through brokenness, power through weakness, and union through suffering.
We don't have the time, but I'd like you to give this to you as a way of pondering and personalizing what we've just talked about. If you were to inventory your own brand of spiritual imperfection, which I've asked my students to do uh, this morning, is they basically wrote about and inventoried their own uh, uh, experience of imperfection. How would you characterize its concrete manifestation under the following three aspects? How broken are you? What is the manifestation or expression of your own weakness or your own suffering? And the, the question is, how am I handling each of these realities in my experience? Do I get stuck in them? Do I wallow in them? Does it def- you know, do they define me? It is an exercise, actually, as I tell my students, an exercise of self-awareness, self-confrontation, self-recognition, and self-confrontation. I think that uh, once in a while we would do well to do something like a spiritual inventory of sorts just to remind us of our own humanity. And of course, this afternoon, we're going to be spotlighting uh, Henry Nouwen himself as the perfect example of imperfection, pun intended, who himself said, I am unable to say I have arrived. I never will in this life, which was the passage that uh, Arnold uh, read about earlier. Paul says what? Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward a goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this, of course, now and embodied. His imperfection was manifested in his own restlessness, in his own woundedness, in his own struggle. But that didn't stop there because in his own restlessness, Nowen remained a restless seeker who remained seeking and finding himself. He remained seeking, uh, you know, his own participation um, toward what God is doing in the world. So he was, a, he was restless in trying to uh, participate and engage in what God is doing in the world. But he was also a true restless seeker after God. In fact, the first ever biography of Nowen written by a Christian Reformed pastor who was his friend was titled that, entitled that, A Restless Seeking After God. So he was a restless seeker. But in his woundedness, he turned things around into the service or for the service of others and became not a wounded wounder, but a wounded healer who ministered to other bruised and wounded souls. And in his struggle, he remained faithful. He was a faithful struggler. Let me end by reading uh, the spiritual profile of an imperfect saint through uh, the book by, written by Ron Rollheiser, The Holy Longing. He dedicated this to Nowen. He says, this is to our generation's Kierkegaard. He said, By sharing his own struggles, he mentored us all, helping us pray while not knowing how to pray, to rest while feeling restless, to be at peace while tempted, to feel safe while still anxious, and to be surrounded by a cloud of light while still in darkness, and to love while still in doubt. Now and struggled, 
No one was broken. No one was wounded. But he used all of his struggles to be a blessing and to give all of us a gift. For your own personal reflection as I end, again, maybe once in a while we would do well again to confront head on the sobering realities of our own restlessness and how they manifest themselves, our own woundedness and our own struggle. And how do we endeavor to consciously move toward increasing personal wholeness and perfection despite and through all of the above imperfections? That would be something to think about. Again, if only to remind ourselves we, have ev- we are every inch a human being with the feet of clay. But thanks be to God. Because in our weakness, in our struggle, in our own brokenness, it just goes to show how much we need God and how much God can really transform us from the inside out. Let's all rise as we close in prayer. God, thank you that you indeed promised us that you who began the good work in us will perfect it until the day of Christ. But until then, we are still in the process of arriving. We're not yet home. But I pray for each one of us as we strive to really come closer and closer and closer to our own homecoming, that we will see the progress of what you are doing inside of us. Thank you that you are so committed to really seeing us become more like you. The Lord bless each one of you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.